0: Success Is In The Mind is proud to have partnered with and be supported by the Great British Entrepreneur Awards and Community, a programme that recognises, celebrates, supports, encourages and champions entrepreneurs in Great Britain. Hello and welcome to Success Is In The Mind. I'm Oliver Bruce and if you're new to the show, we'll be discussing with current owner entrepreneurs about their failures, mistakes, passion and persistence in the face of business adversity. Not all entrepreneurs, however, have completed their vision just yet. Some are just starting out, and I want to give you a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. So what does it take to become successful, to grow a brand, or to start a business? Join me to hear from those that are currently doing just that. As always, you can reach the team and I via the website bizpodcast.co.uk, that is with a Z, or tweet me at Oliver Bruce underscore biz. So, coming up in this episode, we have got the best bits, an amalgamation of Series 2, if you will. And if you haven't actually managed to listen to all the episodes, fear not, because you can trawl through the archives of both Series 1 and Series 2 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed, wherever you get your podcasts from. However, for the purpose of this episode, we have taken um, the liberty to compile the very best bits from Series 2 into one bite-sized episode. So turn your volume up, put your headphones on and sit back and relax because this is the very best bits of Series 2. Today's guest is the British version of the Wolf of Wall Street. He started with £500 in his pocket, brokering IT hardware deals and within six months had sold over a million pounds worth of kit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to... Serial entrepreneur, Rory Sweet. So Rory, when you were you were younger, obviously, did you want to go into into business? Was it something you'd always set out to to do? Because you've done some quite fascinating things and, and whether that was through strategy or accident, it seems you've done rather well regardless.
1: I think my sort of my driver was really not wanting to work for anyone and wanting to be my own boss in terms of being able to do what I want to do whenever I want to do, really. I think this gave gave us, we we were very, to be honest, we were very lucky with this whole situation. And it it, it enabled me to fulfill that really. How
0: did you find the time to to upskill yourself? Because obviously, you've, you've gone in as being a CEO of a multi million pound business in a blink of an eye. How did you train yourself on actually running a department, running a company, running a staffing?
1: Well, it was really. I mean, I, I don't have any training, but it was really just, from my perspective, it was trying to create an atmosphere where everyone felt included and had had fun. Essentially, where everyone had fun where they work, which has always been a great thing for me. I think if you, if you can have fun and people are making money, and it's 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 a, you have a, a really really funny time at work. You know, every I used to wake up in the morning, I just couldn't wait to get to work. I mean, we, we would have like we would have a full size rack where you know if you, if you didn't sell enough product in the day, you'd be stretched. <laughs>
0: It's torture, isn't it?
1: And then you'd have your nose hair trimmed at the same time while you were being stretched because you couldn't because you, your arms would be tired. <laughs> Things like that, and then if you, you know, if you didn't really sell very much in the day either, you, you'd be put inside a cage, like a dog cage, with a phone and just a pen and a pen and paper. So
0: you can't, you can't do this anymore. That's that's the thing.
1: You can't do it anymore. It's a shame because I mean, I think I think at the time it wasn't done in a sort of. degrading way it was just it was just incredibly funny and everyone
0: thought it was quite funny it does it it sounds it sounds i mean when did that have to stop i mean do you guys still have incentive days at a lot of the businesses that you work at and and that is about as far as it goes in terms of in terms of carrying that on is that that's that's kind of right i'm assuming in saying
1: yeah i mean nowadays it's different um although i still have these dreams of bringing it back but i don't know how far it will go
0: probably through to court i imagine (laughs) (laughs) There must be some HR issues somewhere along the lines.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it would. Yeah.
0: I mean, you have a lot of fun though, even even at home. I mean, talk to me about the, the tug of war with this this crocodile in in Africa.
1: Uh, yeah, yes, we have, a, we, have a, we have a reserve in Africa where we do a number of activities. One of which is we have a crocodile that we've been <laughs> sort of feeding. Over the last few years, and we, we put some frozen chickens on a on a chain, and then throw it into the water, and you attach it to a tuna rod, a big 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 game fishing rod, and then it just takes the takes the chickens and just go and just goes, and you have to.
0: And what do you do? Stand on water skis behind it and get dragged around the lake.
1: You could do, but you might be you might get end up getting eaten, probably. I think.
0: Because <laughs> don't you have paintball fights as well with people on on quad bikes from 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 helicopters? I mean, it just sounds fantastic when you talk about so much fun. Yeah,
1: uh, we do. We have people up on, in helicopters with paintball guns, and then we have a team of people the ground on quad bikes and they're just basically chased for about an hour over a 10 kilometre tracks you know, around around the, the African bush it's it really is fun actually
0: and what are you, are you are you the one on the ground or are you just one that's spectating and laughing
1: no, I like to be on the ground because there's a, there's a real strategy behind it because you you have to watch the helicopter because the helicopter has a lot of inertia mm-hmm. and you know when you see it turning one way you go the other way because it has to it, it can't when it's coming behind you fast you put the brakes on and it goes overhead there's a lot of lot of strategy to it. actually. Well, this is
0: years of practice, Rory. Surely. I mean, how long have you been being chased by choppers? I mean, it's, it's it is years of practice.
1: yeah. You're basically
0: James Bond of Africa. <laughs> Welcome to the show, entrepreneur and co-founder, Ed Bonner. Ed, thanks very much for joining me on the show. A fellow Land Rover lover, you quite literally started your business out the tailgate, out the boot of a very, very cool retro Land Rover. But like all good businesses, it was kind of conceptualised over a pint in a Cotswold pub with a mate from the RAU. You literally stitched a Union Jack to the back of a, a dress shirt and Beaufort and Blake was born. Was it as simple as that?
2: Hi, Ollie. Yeah, great to um, be on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Um, it, yeah. Well, the first the first shirt was dreamt up over a beer. That's that's about right, really. My friend, my business partner Sam, was at the REU, as you as you say, and he's he's the creative one in the business. And and a friend of his was was um, going to this best of British May Ball that they had at the time, and wanted to wanted to stitch this Union Jack into the back of his shirt, and and it didn't take long for us to have a look around the sort of the the market as it were at that time and find the only people selling pattern back dress shirts were Cato and carter who had gone who actually since since then have gone bust and you know you walk in there and it was like um stepping back in time uh, so uh, sam sam and i had a mutual friend uh, george um who uh, who i have to have to credit for 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 making the business happen actually <laughs> has he got shares in it or not <laughs> no 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 but he's got a, a lifelong discount code uh, so so he introduced us and we um uh, we at the time I was working at Charles Tirrett, um, in German Street. I'd gone to uni, hadn't, hadn't hadn't really worked for me, so I dropped out after a year, and um, sort of by by chance ended up going down down German Street really. Um, uh, just in in search of a, in search of a job and wanting to earn money as a as a nineteen year old does when all his mates are at uni and he doesn't want to be there. So um, we uh, we we sort of got together and and uh, he said, "Look, I've got this idea. I want to make this shirt, but I've got no idea how to make shirts, or um, I, I need a bit of help in business." And so I said, "Well look I, I've, I can tell you a thing or two, and uh, at the time, I claimed to know uh, a lot of, a lot about shirts, which was a lie may may or may not have been bending the truth um, so we um, we found our first factory in in north London um, and uh, at the time we paid forty six pounds for our shirts, and we sold them for sixty five quid so you know <laughs> it was there was a 20 quid margin on uh, on each of the, each of the shirts quite quickly into um into our first um you know foray after after about six months and um, these shirts from London turned up they fell apart. After six months of wearing. So, you know, at the time we came up, we coined the fact that they were, you know, they were a disposable shirt, as black tie shirts often were at that age. (laughs)
0: It's it's innovative. I like it. Recyclable. (laughs)
2: Just just praying that we could we could find a new manufacturer before before the next uh, customer came to buy again.
0: Surely, surely your customers were genuinely quite angry and you had a number of complaints, which actually could have been detrimental to the brand. How did you manage that?
2: what well, we did what we did find was actually a, a really valuable tool was to you know to be very honest and upfront and personable with our customers and remind them of the fact that um, you know politely once uh, they had paid a premium for the product at the same time they were buying into a young business with a really passion, with passionate two, two passionate founders and there's really something to be said and I think I learned this from my roots in Savile Row and German Street really that, that there's something to be said for the personal relationship that is knowing that your clothes have been made or at least put together by somebody that you have a very personal relationship with. And in the same way that you, you know, you feel you have a bond, a gentleman has a bond with his tailor. Um, we 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 interestingly learned. And uh, yeah, one of the things that I brought in that, that was that absolutely helped us to befriend those those upset customers and and turn them around into 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 positive, um, positive ambassadors was to was to really explain that that it was um, that it was about us and. You know, we we as individual young young aspiring um, individuals at the time were, were, were really mm-hmm. passionate about building building a product and learning on the go. and so it was honesty. Yeah, it was honesty, absolutely. Coming up in this episode,
0: I'll be speaking to co-founders Adam Chowdhury and Eloise Frank about why they packed it all in with their big corporate employer to bake cakes. Ladies and gentlemen, co-founders of The Big London Bake, Adam and Eloise. So Adam, Eloise, welcome to the show. You started your business in 2017, you co-founded it in 2017, and you you say you're competitive, so you and Adam, you you like to compete against each other, right?
3: I I mean, we're so competitive that when the baking competition came up, I, I mean, I... Can't bake uh, <laughs> at all, <laughs> right, right. Uh, and I and I, I definitely couldn't bake back then. But I was still convinced I'd be able to beat Eloise, despite her actually having some skills in that arena.
1: He didn't, but
3: no. well, it goes, it
0: goes without question. <laughs> really. And do you think the fact that the Great British Bake Off obviously is such a phenomenon now, that's made baking quite cool? So obviously what you guys are doing now is quite cool. It's quite Instagrammable. You've got nearly 40,000 followers on Instagram. Has that been a massive catalyst to your marketing?
3: I mean, the, the, one of the best things about our marketing, especially both of us coming from marketing backgrounds, is, is we spend hardly anything on it, um, <laughs> which is... Genius. Yeah, which is kind of the dream in in many ways. Um, so whilst we do, you know, we Do everything from podcasts um, to um, what we do on Instagram and social media, um, as well as doing some paid advertising. Um, a lot of it is if we offer a fantastic experience, uh, word of mouth is incredibly persuasive uh, and incredibly important. So people do come and join us and then have so much fun, tell their friends and they're back a month later but with a group three times the size. And, and that's it. If we're doing something well, then people should be talking about us. And, and that's, that's really been our approach so far. Are
0: you looking for a PR company that can evaluate your brand profile and execute effective communications? Well, and PR, who work with some of the largest brands in the fashion, field sports and luxury lifestyle sectors, can do exactly that. Developing long-term relationships is at the heart of the Bloxam ethos. Combining big thinking with big results, they simply never miss a trick, and they certainly didn't miss a trick, by partnering with us for Series 2. Check them out at blocksandpr.com. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with lifetime entrepreneur Richard Loden. Having forged a career in the automotive world from a very young age, his team now oversee the operations of over 400 franchisees heading up one of the largest eco-friendly car rental brands in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Richard Loden. Richard, thanks for coming on. You, you, your dad was obviously a high flyer working for a PLC. You went through what, college and university, or did you come straight out of college and go straight into business?
4: I once again was very fortunate that my, uh, my father put me through private education. I was in Brighton. I, the, the family moved uh, down to the Sussex coast, and uh, I was in a, a, a very small uh, but uh, a very good private college in Brighton. And my father thought it'd be useful that I got used to interviews and uh, went through that whole process. With one of his companies, I sort of went in with an alias, um, uh, so they didn't know that uh, I was the the chairman's son, (laughs) and uh, went through uh, a number of interviews and... uh, To his shock and horror, I was actually offered the job. (laughs) Uh, So I think he uh, took a big deep breath and said, what do you think? I said, well, I haven't finished education. He said, well, you know, you could do that and, you know, and and start this job if you want. Uh, And that's what I did. So uh, I fast-tracked my way through my A-levels and uh, took the the job with one of his companies.
0: You, You worked for your dad briefly. He was chairman. That must have been a bit odd, granted. But at what point did you jump ship and go then to thrifty car rental?
4: Uh, well, it was quite interesting because um, uh, the actual company I started to work at uh, while my father was the, the, the chairman of the, of the business. Uh, he had very little to do with the day-to-day running and I think I probably saw him inside the business maybe two or three times over the sort of the 18 months I was there. My father then got an opportunity to uh, go into uh, a, a company that was a sort of a, a rescue of a, a business that uh, manufactured uh, vehicles like first line ambulances, call vans, hopper buses and things like that. And he approached me and said, look, you know, you've got, you've got a good grounding now. Would you want to join me in this venture? And you know I said, "Yeah, absolutely. Uh, joined that business as a, a sort of sales and marketing capacity. cut my teeth in terms of uh, business development, branding, you know worked very hard within that business to a point that um, I came into the business one day. we'd achieved you know a substantial increase in the order book. Father summoned me to a meeting and uh, sat in front of him, you know waiting for the congratulations, you know maybe a bonus. I wasn't entirely sure at that point. Uh, and he broke the news to me that he was firing me forthwith, and asked for <laughs> car keys back. And I was like, why? What have I done? He said, no, you've done a fantastic job, and, and I've done my job. You, you know, you're really. done.
0: That's excellent. Uh, uh, uh,
4: out into the free world. So that was on a Thursday. Uh, on the Friday, I, I flicked through the, the local paper. I saw some jobs advertised, and on the Monday, I went for a job at a recruitment agency interviewed for the job which was uh, selling and developing uh, chemicals for the the printing industry which I had absolutely no knowledge or understanding of (laughs) and still don't and still don't Uh, that that came out during the interview that uh, I didn't know anything about it and uh, I received a phone call from the recruitment agency saying look I interviewed so well but not for the uh, the area of business that they were recruiting for but would I like to come and work for them. So uh, I said, why not? And uh, that was on a, I think it was a a, a, a Tuesday. And on the Wednesday, I started working for them, having absolutely no knowledge of the recruitment sector at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How do you make decisions, Rory? How do you sort of sit down and go, this is the right thing to do? This is what I'm going to do now? Because do you go with your gut or do you go with a spreadsheet? How do you
1: do it? I, I tend to be quite impulsive, take a lot of risks. And, you know, some of them don't work and some of them do. It's more about gut instinct really than anything else. And obviously obviously some looking at sound sound financials at the end of the day.
0: I mean, a massive gut instinct was when you, you, you crossed the North Pole back in I think it was early two thousands. I mean, not only did you cross it, but you also broke the world record, but you've never actually camped before. I mean, why? <laughs>
1: Well, that thing was one of the, the the best things I've ever done, actually.
0: It sounds fantastic.
1: You always read these books from people like Randall Fine saying how difficult it is and how you know how bitter and horrible and but actually, it, it's the most you know, anyone can really do it. We just had the, we, we had a very good team of people and to be in that remote. You know, the utterly desolate place with no possibility of any help. It kind of does something to you. It's also just the raw beauty of it, which I'll never really forget.
0: Because who was your competitor? There were sixteen other people, though, weren't there? I mean, very much like your business career, you just kind of you beat everybody within it because you, apparently somehow you just had a mental determination to do it. Do you think that your success is down to your mental stability?
1: I think so, and I think I mean we we went on the tra- all the training sessions for that because you pay a bit of money and then you go on like three different training sessions. We can last at every single training session when the actual competition came to start we just sort of gritted our teeth and decided we just went for it just, there's no substitute for that we just literally just gritted it out we just accelerated into the lead because of that i mean we literally i mean you, you close your eyes and then bang you, you're awake again two hours later
0: do you think there's an element of you look at all these successful entrepreneurs richard branson for one who who sets these challenges up and, and sort of pushes himself the limit. Have you reached your limit yet in your business life? You clearly did, uh, but you pushed through when you're in the North Pole. But from a business point of view, have you peaked yet, or have you still got a lot more to give?
1: I think I've become less interested in, in making money for the sake of making money. I think, and more interested in being a, being in wilderness and being, you know, just being happy. Really, I think you know, there's so much more you can actually do rather than rather than sitting behind a desk and making money. There's just so much. There's so much more to life.
0: On this week's podcast, we have an entrepreneur who's not only a health coach, but a natural chef too. Camille Knowles was hospitalized, age six, after suffering from severe eczema. It was after a long battle and multiple hospital visits that Camille founded her business, the beauty of eczema. Ladies and gentlemen, Camille Knowles. Now, Cam, going back to to being younger, I suppose, and suffering from eczema, did you always want to work for yourself? You just didn't know what you wanted to do. Was this a happy coincidence? I mean, how did you fall into into running a business, and did you want to do that from day one?
5: Yeah, you know what, well, I think I did. I took a marketing degree at university. My father's a businessman, so I've my role model in work has always been kind of working for yourself or running your own business. Um, I just wasn't clear on how that would all work itself out. And to be honest, every time that I pushed myself, whether it was at school or university, I would end up getting covered in eczema. So I wasn't even sure how I was able to hold down a job, never mind run a business.
0: You're very much, I suppose, the face of your brand. You said that you're going to dedicate your entire life um, to, to being the face of positivity and, and support for, for people going through the same thing. How do you manage your time? Because you've got 11,700 11, followers on, on Instagram. You have two Instagram accounts, YouTube accounts, Twitter accounts, books that you write. How the hell do you manage to actually do anything in the day?
5: Yeah, I'm still learning how to manage my time. It's been an absolute whirlwind. I feel like I work, I've worked 24 seven and so many hours in the day. So I'm actually just trying to figure out the balance of, you know, having my downtime whilst also being there for the people. And I worked out this summer that actually I drove myself back into becoming sick by giving too much of myself. So I now know that I can best serve my warrior tribe by taking care of myself. Um, and just being mindful with my time.
0: Well, people that, that that start businesses often get, I suppose, um, overwhelmed by the sheer amount of regulatory things that you have to go through, the process, the protocols. You just you, you sort of jumped straight into it, but how, what have you learned over the last couple of years of, of running a business? And what didn't you know when you
1: started?
5: Oh my goodness, uh, this could be like a full <laughs> year of conversations. I think looking back, I would love to see a movie on the past three years because the woman I was when I started my business I've completely evolved and I've learned so much it feels like I've done 10 master's degrees in one um I can't pinpoint exactly what I've learned I just feel like every single day with running a business as you'll know there's always a challenge to overcome and once you overcome it you're so empowered and you realize you can do the next thing and the next thing
0: Remember as a kid owning a scooter, you'd barrel down a hill and then you'd have to push off with the other foot consistently just to get where you're going. Maybe that's why scooting to work never really took off from a commuting point of view. Until now, however. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Joe Lewin. So Joe, you, obviously, you graduated from the University of Birmingham three years ago, you studied a Bachelor of Science. You've since studied at Harvard Business School, but Online, and um, we'll get into Zwing's more so shortly. I mean, it's it's the UK's fastest growing transport startup. I, I read online, and I think it's fantastic. I use it, I use it a lot. Um, but going back to to your childhood, pre university, pre school, what did that look like when you were, you know being brought up? What did your parents do?
6: Yeah, well, you you may be surprised, Oliver. Actually, my, my my dad runs an investment bank, so it's it's very very structured, very very corporate setting. My mother hasn't done anything. Just well, in the last quarter of a century, she she's brought up four kids. Those, which in itself was a full time job. So <laughs> <That's good laughs> yeah. also, also, she says, yeah. So she, um, well, but she's kind of created that uh, nurtured environment that's that's been so pivotal. I think in in the success story so so far. Do
0: you think having that cushion, that support blanket, to be able to take a few risks and actually, if it goes wrong, fall back not only on your grades but actually on on, on I suppose the, the the bank of dad to
6: a certain extent. Do you think that helps with taking risk? I, well, they've been supportive to a large extent, but not necessarily of financially, so to speak. So you know, a lot, a lot of it has been very <laughs> seriously uh, networking a lot, and then kind of garnering investment from the wider community, and, and eventually building a, a bit of a network. Uh, so that if I could actually c- c- going into London from day one, I, I literally knew no one a- a- at all. Like and trying to approach investors came through things like LinkedIn and through um, meeting people at events and stuff. But it wasn't so much being like, "Oh, parents introduced me to this person." In fact, they didn't introduce me to anyone at all. It gave me very basic amounts of, of of money to help with basically getting set up and just living expenses
0: yeah it's almost hand to mouth isn't it really it's almost...
6: yeah yeah but but it's quite
0: nice because it brings your head to the ground and, yeah. and actually makes you think well people often think when you start a business you're the richest person in the room it's quite ironic because you're normally the poorest oh
6: definitely i have you know barely taken a salary since since march even though you know we, we, our revenues are really good we've got quite a bit of investment now so it's an interesting space like there's there's not so much stability or or, or guarantee of of an outcome but uh God, the, the relentless work that goes into m- making that fruitful reward come, come true is um, compelling. So it's been an exciting journey thus far. Going
0: back to the day that you came up with the concept for essentially uh, electric scooter rentals, because it is new, but it's also not new, if you, if you can kind of understand where I'm coming from there. Mm. How did you and why did you kind of just go, this is absolutely what I'm going to run with? And what did your parents think? Because obviously, you're a bright chap. They might have thought that you'd go down the corporate ladder, but you threw it away just to
6: ride a scooter. Yeah, I bought one scooter originally and just, just fell in love with it. These scooters just offer maximum flexibility and convenience. And I knew a lot of people needed to have access to this, but a lot of people don't want to purchase uh, vehicles. They don't want to purchase many assets nowadays. It's all about the subscription or rental model. Hence the growth of these monthly flexible passes and, and, and so on. That's actually something we're going to bring in next month. That's interesting. So next month being January. Yeah, we, <laughs> that may well be for you, actually. You would be our target customer, re- residents, but also um, you know, people that work nearby. Uh-huh. And it's one fee, unlimited rides within that, within that 30-day period.
0: Well, I mean, that's perfect because all the guys that, that live and work in town can utilize that and frankly that's something that we can just use as an employee perk that's a really smart idea I noticed that Predomonje are also doing the same thing in terms of you know you can spend what is it 20 quid a month and you can have unlimited coffees so yes yeah, yeah absolutely
6: it's the similar model I'm assuming 100% and yeah what definitely works at scale but now we've got uh, usage data which to be honest I think we've Almost doubled our forecasts, and you know you know what founders are like. Founders typically balloon forecasts, but then when the data comes out, it's actually like, oh, actually, <laughs> <slightly> whoops! <off. laughs> uh, but, but, we, but we've somehow doubled our original forecast. So now we've got that data, we are in a better position to be able to offer cool features such as unlimited rides for a set fee per month.
0: That's incredible. I mean, because it's only pennies per 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 ride anyway.
6: Yeah, yeah. It's not all. It's not too expensive. I think you know an hour's ride is is about 10 pounds and and i think com- comparatively for, for the amount of fun that you have an hour on a scooter is is just something else
0: i completely agree my mates and i we've got a whatsapp group called scoot into my dms and it's just <laughs> for organizing these <laughs> wings trips really genuinely <laughs> i said to them I said, I said joe's coming on the podcast and they were like right that's ridiculous you need to you need to you need to tell him about this so uh, so there you go <laughs> really i love that no word of elijah That's great yeah With the growth of online shopping and the addiction of getting rid of the old to buy in the new, my guest today, James Hartford Tyre, has recently completed an investment round for £4.6 million, believed to be the largest amount ever raised for investment within the UK fashion resale business. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome James Hartford Tyre. James, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast. You've done a lot of interviews online about the sort of fluffy stuff, you know, going to cafes in Chelsea and all that, all that la-di-da nonsense. This podcast is slightly different in as much as we're not going to be talking about any of that. I want to know the real, the real James. But you mentioned that you had a a mentor, a mentor um, that, that sort of you, you speak to who looks after you. How important is it to have a shoulder to cry on when you're kind of, in it on your own your co-founder's kind of left yes he's come back because you've employed him but realistically you are the boss and you haven't really got anyone to speak to how important is a mentor
7: uh essential it's a non it's a non-starter because sometimes you need to speak about personal stuff sometimes you need to speak about literally job related stuff i think i learned the hard way of what the reality of being insular is for for a year i mean i think when my co-founder first left i wasn't really talking to anyone about this stuff and it, it actually it's quite unpleasant but once i've got these mentors in in place it just makes life so much easier because you know that you you can trust someone who actually knows what they're talking about and has far more life and business experience than i so
0: and how do you get the best out of them how do you how do you nurture them as much as they nurture you
7: i go in with the mindset of i've got one mouth and two ears and I will spend my time listening and asking questions and my hope is they find it rewarding being able to share their experiences and seeing how that manifests itself in my world. We talk on a human level as well as a business one and I just be myself. I don't go with any facade or any chats about the Chelsea cafes, <laughs> which you read online. Yeah, you know, well, I
0: mean, that's all I could find online. I was thinking when I was coming into this interview that it was going to be about scones and cream cheese and all that nonsense. But I mean, why do people take that stance with you, James? Do they have a preconceived idea that actually because you're in luxury you know, fashion to a certain extent online, that actually all you do is drink and eat high tea i mean why
7: well first you just say it's a scone not a scone
0: is it okay we'll agree to disagree there sir
7: no we have to i have to (laughs) i always have to say this is it the jam
0: and the cream or the cream and the jam Uh, i go jam first you go jam for no no strategically you put the cream on and then you put the jam on. No, no, no,
7: it's all wrong. That's why you call it scone. Well, backwards. it is.
0: It is. I mean, <laughs> there you go. We, there you go. We have spoken about whatever it is, food confectionery. There we go. But no, in all seriousness, why do people have this preconceived idea, James, with you in terms of, um, in, in terms of this London socialite image?
7: Yeah, uh, gosh. I mean, a great example is you. You will have read online and people you've read on. We're dealing with these kind of luxury brands like Hermes, LV, Chanel, etc. There is this image of aspiration and lifestyle. And then when you associate aspiration and lifestyle with people, you see celebrities like Millie McIntosh and other people involved with the brand. And you, you'll see a newspaper. There's a there's a caption on one of the photos which says James and Millie are firm friends. Now Millie was absolutely lovely by the way, but we'd only met once. And I think the media wants to write about you in a way which which sells, which is relevant, and which is I guess you create they create a self-fulfilling prophecy as to what your story is. And I think there's an element of had this kind of normal beginning and then it becomes Look how much you know. Look how look how many high tees this guy can 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 get in on a weekend, and it's just the brand that I think people kind of fit me alongside it.
0: So, what a series it has been. I mean, there's a huge variety of businesses in only this episode, quite frankly. But as I said earlier on, if you'd like to go through the archive, by all means, don't let me stop you because we are still, and we always will be, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and indeed, wherever you get your podcasts from. We've had the incredible pleasure of being ranked in the top 50 on Apple Podcasts a number of times during this series for both entrepreneurship and business. And that is entirely down to you. So, thank you very much for everybody that is subscribed to everybody that has reviewed and indeed rated this podcast five stars. Don't let me stop you continuing to do that. So do share it with your friends, family, and frankly anybody uh, that you think might be interested. However, we are back in March after we uh, move into our new glossy studio. We'll be giving this a facelift, a new look. So I look forward to welcoming you all back in March. But until then, stay safe. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening to this week's podcast. If you enjoyed it as much as we did, we would really appreciate it if you could rate it, share it, and subscribe to it. To find out more about the guests featured on Success In The Mind, visit our website, bizpodcast.co.uk. That is with a Z, where you can apply to be on the show, check out the behind-the-scenes content, and keep up to date with what's coming up. Check out our Facebook page by visiting at Success is In The Mind pod, or follow me on Twitter at Oliver Bruce underscore biz. This podcast has been produced by the team at Pinpoint Media. To find out more, visit pinpoint-media.co.uk.
4: Thanks so much for listening. Take care.